Well, today we've reached the end of our uh, series on the book of Ephesians. One thing we will notice uh, through this letter is that Paul is quick to point out that we cannot separate the spiritual from the physical side of life. And today we continue into that narrative uh, in chapter 6. Now, as a reminder, last week we talked about um, Paul using the marriage covenant as a model for the church to live after. And so that brings me to my first statement I would like to make. The Christian life isn't easy. Paul just used the marriage covenant as a model for the church. Now, unless you've only been married a year or so, you, 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 don't, you understand that being married, while it's beautiful and has all these joys and, and these things that you can do together that you can't do as one, it ain't easy. I mean, I have a wonderful, forgiving wife, and if I didn't, I don't know. She has been over backwards for me from time to time. But the Christian life is modeled after a marriage covenant. And so right after this, Paul goes into, well, we'll skip a little bit, but into verse 10. And so if you are deciding to build a marriage on the model that Christ has given to you, you might want to pay attention here. Because if opening statement 10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord. Very useful for marriage, isn't it? But it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and put the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly and to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So put on the whole armor of God. You know, C.S. Lewis once made a comment that the best thing the devil ever did was to convince people he doesn't exist. We live in an educated, modern world. We don't attribute everything bad that happens to a spiritual problem, a spiritual demon, these kind of things. Someone gets sick, it's not demons that afflict them, it's bacteria, it's whatever else, viruses that cause it. We want to make everything scientific. We want to clinicalize all the problems of this world. 
Look back over our history. As countries began entering the modern age, as we developed more and more modern techniques in supplying goods and services and all these kind of things, we were plunged into two great world wars. When it seemed like humanity was going to triumph over the, the causes of evil in our world, we tried to kill everyone. We tried to dominate this whole planet. That's what humans did. And so people lost faith in their technologies. They've lost faith in some of their, their gods. Because how could a good God let such atrocities take place? But Paul saw this way back when. And he said, you, are, you need to prepare yourself for the days are evil. For Christ has come and delivered us from the pains of death by taking our sins upon himself on the cross. Not only that, but he defeated death after three days he was raised to walk a new life. That is a symbol that we use in baptism. That is the symbol that our church is built on. Because in his atoning death, we can now stand as the righteous children of God. Because we have an advocate who speaks on our part. We have a perfect sacrifice who cleanses all the sins that separated us from a holy God. But just as we see in the life of our marriages, of Christian marriages, not worldly marriages, but marriages where the two that have been joined together believe in the one Savior. Our divorce rates aren't much better than this world. And in fact, they're getting worse because the world has given up on marriage altogether. Turning just to live together for a while. And if it doesn't work, you just separate. Our culture, that used to not stand. But it does today. So for those of us who were raised in the church, we still see marriage as something important. We still see marriage as a way for two to be united together. As the Bible says, as to become one flesh. But we also know from the practical side of life that marriage is probably one of the most difficult undertakings. Why? Because it is a lifetime commitment. We can make short-term plans, can't we? We, we can plan to do something and have great enthusiasm and energy to see the projects to the end because there is a start date and an end date. I was a project manager for many years, and there was always start and end dates. And you had several tasks in between. But when you knew a deadline, you could adjust. So if it normally took you two weeks to frame a house, production houses, it'd take two weeks. And we had weather problems. You had shipment delays. And instead of taking two weeks now, it took you four weeks, five weeks. Your closing date is still there. So you have two choices. Bump a closing. Seems easy enough from the production side. That's what you did. But let me ask you, if you were buying a house and the, uh, the builder said, I will have you done by December 1st. You made plans and you sold your house. You have now bunked in with your in-laws. And now on November 25th, you get a call going into the holidays that you're supposed to be closing in just a short amount of time. Your house isn't going to be ready. 
And now your Christmas present, which you thought was going to be this new home, you're going to get to spend it with your in-laws. So as a builder, you look at these options and you weigh. Some people, they're not in a hurry. You may just bump the closing date. But for most that have committed selling their own house, lining up movers, taking off work, all these kind of things, it is important to meet that promise. And so what do you do? You accelerate parts of the schedule that you can. You condense things. You, you pay people to work weekends. And you make up the time. But marriage isn't like that. We don't have a start and an end date. We have a lifetime commitment. Some people know that the day they are going to die. Maybe doctors have told them you have three months to live. You stop, you get your affairs in order, you say your goodbyes, and you prepare for the inevitable. But each and every one of us that has been bored has one thing in common. One day we will die. Maybe you will live to be 95, 105. Maybe you'll be the one on the radio where everybody goes, wow, they've lived that long. Maybe you'll get a billboard that shows how many grandkids and great-grandkids and all this kind of stuff because you've just made it that long. But those of us who have lived through tragedy know we are not promised these long years. We know that teenagers can be killed. That soldiers who have pledged to protect our freedoms as young men and women will give up their lives on our account. And we know even out of that same platoon, some will live while others were buried at young ages. Maybe you've been married for 25 years and your spouse has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Maybe 30 years, maybe just a few. Life is fleeting and fragile. But for most of us, while we're healthy, while we're young, we don't look at that end date, that expiration that is placed on our life because there's always going to be the next day. Well, I bought that car that I can't really afford, but I can pay it off later but what if later is called before and so Paul sees this and he sees this in a spiritual and physical reality because he knows that it's not just the physical side that we have to figure out because if all it was was following a set of rituals we could see in the lives of the Jewish people that that's even hard They were given the commandments, they were given the laws of Leviticus and all these different things just to live a certain way to stand holy in front of a holy God. Look at the Old Testament. It is a history of rises and fall, of one generation to the next, getting it right and getting it wrong. It is difficult living a righteous life by our physical ambition because it's hard. And even Paul, who probably came the closest that we see he would fail and he counted all that human effort as loss because he had learned something better he learned that true righteousness comes through faith but he also learned that we are indeed in a spiritual battle just as much as a physical battle and he looked around him to see examples on how he can convey these very difficult truths to the people He used sports examples. He used examples from the military, uh, this armor. 
Now, we may just look at Paul's life and say, oh, he just sees the Roman legions. He sees how they have now conquered the world and and how their battle technology is superior. And so he's using them as example because of such a a powerful force they represent on, on earth at his time. But his example is rooted much deeper than that. It comes from the prophets that speak of God as a divine warrior, one who will fight the battles. It comes from the traditions of the Jewish people who were once slaved and were delivered by a mighty hand through signs and wonders and who fought the fight for them and gave them the promised land because he sees in God a mighty warrior who fights for you, who prepares you, who gives you what you need so that you may succeed. And so he uses that image of a soldier because he sees in it the power, the divine power of God for your success. He sees what the equipment a soldier does for him, so he uses that. And he starts with the first one, the belt of truth. Now, this isn't like the belts we wear with a suit. This was a big leather strap that you would wear, kind of like a girdle if you've ever seen one. Hope none of you wear them today. Or a back brace or something like that. But this big leather strap stood a purpose, a purpose, if I can get it out right. It was to strengthen your core. Now, those of you who are athletes or know a little bit about athletics, they know that there are target zones of your muscles depending on what sport. So you have upper body and you have lower body. Now, if you only work part of those, even though it's the most important part for you to succeed in your sport, You may not make it to the end of the battle, the end of the race, the end of the struggle. So let's think about it. For those who train for running, the marathon race, that's another example Paul likes to use. You can train the distance. You can train your legs to be able to cover the distance. But if the rest of your body gets tired, it will affect your running. So you have to train your core. You have to do the exercises that strengthens the muscle of your core. Why? Because it affects your breathing. It affects your heart rate. Because if it starts fatiguing and giving on you, you crunch up. And if your organs are crunched, they can't work at full capacity. And no matter how strong your legs are, you won't have the lung capacity to fuel them. To give them the oxygen that it needs to make it to the end. And so for the first piece of equipment Paul uses is the belt of truth. For what most people will take for granted is the truth that we live with. And it needs to be around our midsection, giving us the strength. Even though the fight may come from our arms or from our legs, it is our core that will make us stand to the end, that will give us the endurance that we need. Because it lets us breathe like we should. It lets our heart run like it should. It protects all of the main processes because it is our center. And if we are not built on the truth of the gospel, this both spiritual and physical truth that we find, because in this we see that it is important to have a spiritual relationship with God. But that spiritual relations, as we talked about in past weeks, reflects in our physical relations around us, between husbands and wives, employers and employees, So on and so forth. 
Because if our relationship with Christ doesn't affect how we live outside of these doors, we haven't wrapped the belt of truth around our waist. Because our spiritual beliefs should impact our physical actions. Because they are tied together. They are one. If not, our physical self and our spiritual self is at war with its, each other. Then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Those vital organs, that heart, that lung. You need the belt of truth to give you endurance, but you need that breastplate to protect you. Because the devil is going to attack there are spiritual demons, and as Paul labels them, there is a hierarchy of these things running around. They are the legions that Jesus deals with in the gospel. And they are ever on the prowl. We may forget that the devil is real. That's what he wants. He is in covert disguise. He has camouflaged himself. To be all around. And he's just looking for that opportunity to say, is that what you really believe? Do you really think he or she loves you? Is what you're doing worth it? It'd be so much easier just to do this. You don't really have to give all to that church. They have all those other rich people. What good is your little bit of resources going to do when somebody else makes all that money? He is around us and he is on the prowl. And sometimes he attacks us boldly and comes directly at us. But most of the time, it's those little sticks, those little pricks, those irritating things that happen that will wear us down. Because if you've ever suffered a terminal illness or something that has no cure, if you've ever struggled with hip or knee pain, you can understand this. It may not be excruciating pain all the time. It just may be a bit annoying. But if every day you're annoyed, before long it takes a toll not only on your physical body, but also your spiritual strength. I've watched people as they suffered from different ailments who it started off a little bit as a limp. And then over the years, because of that constant limp, the rest of their body started overcompensating. And so no matter if they fixed the problem or not, their body was permanently damaged. That's what the devil does. It's those little things that if we let him will build up and callous us, callous our bodies, both spiritual and physical. And so that when the day comes and the real battle begins, we're not going to be able to stand. But Paul says, God is our divine warrior and he has given us the provisions. He has given us the gospel of truth that we are to fasten around us. He has given us the breastplate of righteousness so that we may stand firm, that we may protect our heart from the onslaught of those that attack us. But he has also given us shoes for our feet. Now, I look in my closet, and I have a bunch of different shoes. 
Ladies, I don't know how many you have in your closet. I know how many that we go through every time we, we decide to move out of my wife's. And she's probably fairly reasonable on the amount of shoes she has. But I know some ladies like to collect them. They like to have a shoe for every occasion. Now, from a guy's perspective, why do you need all those shoes, right? You don't need all those. You already have a pair of dress shoes. Why don't you just wear those? But ladies, you need those shoes, don't you? Because it serves its purpose. It may be for a particular dress for a particular occasion, but you needed those to wear. Paul says, put on those shoes. Be ready to tell the gospel story. But I like that example. Because there is a different set of shoes that we wear for different occasions. There is a time where we are leaders. We need those shoes. There is a time where we are learners. We need those shoes. There are times where we are helpers. We need those shoes. There's times where we need help. We need all these different shoes in our closet so that we may put it on and that we may be ready to spread that gospel message. I look out and I see diversity. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily we've got an even mix of Hispanics and whites and African Americans and all these other ones. We don't necessarily even look like our community, but I see a sea of diversity here because I see a sea of people who God has gifted in different ways. Who's given some the ability to sing, to play music, to share message, to teach, to give words of encouragement, to pray. There are all these things. Those who are gifted at reading and who can share that love with others. Because as we read and as we study, we join that cloud of witnesses that came before. We entertain conversations with people that are no longer present on this earth. Because they put their words into writing. Well, we have different shoes here that all ready us for a particular journey. We have athletic shoes that can get there quick. We have boots that can take the work. We have cleats that can dig in. We even have ballerina's shoes, maybe protect our ankles that can give beauty to this world we all have a different pair of shoes maybe we have a closet full of them maybe God has blessed you with multiple shoes so that you may find multiple needs but we all work together as a unit we're not in this alone we're not called to do this as an individual we are called to come together as brothers and sisters as the church Paul isn't describing just an individual soldier. He's describing a member of a unit. This is how they look individually. But he never assumes that they go to battle alone. For we are in this fight together. We need the protection of those around us so that we may succeed. That we may be ready. That we may be ready to give the gospel of peace that we have found to this hurting world. Turn on the news if you don't believe me. There are tragedies every week. There are those who have been victimized. There are those who find themselves hurting because of systematic evil in this world. The darkness is all around us, but we have found the light. 
How do we not share that? Christ would say it's like someone who would light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. It doesn't make sense. We are called to be the light into this dark world, to offer hope to the hopeless, because we have found the gospel of peace, the good news that Jesus Christ has brought. But then he says, in all circumstances, in everything we do, carry with you the shield of faith. Because it is through faith that we can offer forgiveness to those who kill our loved ones. It is through faith that we can make it through those difficult days. It is through faith that we can truly love one another. That we can be that husband, that wife. That father, that son, that mother, that daughter. It is through faith that affects how we live with everyone that offers us the most protection. Because we know that this world will hurt us. But God has a plan of restoration. And it begun with Jesus Christ being the incarnate son of Mary who would live a sinless life so that he may be that perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us, for each and every sin that we have committed or will commit. Because he brought us into relationship with the Father, who offers us a place in heaven, that mansion, those cities of gold, that place that will rise above death and pain and struggle. For it is this faith that we carry with us. When the world says you're no good, when the world says you're not, you are worthless, you are hated, it is our faith that protects us from those javelins, from those darts that will be flung at us. Those extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, Paul says. And then we put on the helmet of salvation because it protects who we are. It protects the center of our being our thought processes, because we know that we are loved no matter what others may say. But then it gives us the weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you ever took part in Bible drill, we don't really do that anymore. It's a a component of our Awanas program. But if you ever go back to the old days, when you were doing the competitions to find verses or books of the Bible, you read it yourself. You had your Bible down, and you were said, draw swords. Do you all remember this? Some of you do. This is our weapon. Not just the physical book that I carry, but what it represents. It represents the witness of God in humanity. It represents the revelations that God has bestowed on us, His creation, so that we may know who He is and that we may know how to live with one another and that we may know His promises of the future, His promises for the present. So that we may join in the conversations that have taken place, the ones who saw Jesus eat, breathe, sleep, teach, heal, that we could be part of of that conversation as well. It is the weapon that we use to lash out. We may have political power to pass laws that will protect this church from the invasion of evil people, that will protect those who come and congregate, 
But if you have ever studied world history, powers rise and powers fall. And if Christ doesn't come back before, we know that one day this great world power of the United States will one day fade away. Every great nation has. I don't see this as any different. You already look at how we are struggling as a nation. How we've become polarized. How each camp has its part. The name may survive. But what we know as a democratic state. What we know as those who have built a foundation on the teachings of Jesus Christ. It will be replaced one day. But I do know this, that if the country ever falls, that if it ever fails from its power, God has another to replace it. Because He is in control of all history. And what we see as what we think in our own standing, in our finite ability of the solution to the world's problem, through military, political forces, we are wrong. Because the only way to win victory is to put on the whole armor of God. Because it is only in our worship of Jesus Christ, God's Son, through, through whom we have an advocate, through the power of the Spirit that we are gathered. This is the only victory. It is not in the United States. It is not in some other political entity. It is in Jesus Christ Himself. And He can use us in our political ambitions in our seats of authority, to help others in need, to spread the gospel of peace. But He doesn't need us. He welcomes us to join Him. So if we want to make America great again, as that slogan goes, we have to do what Paul then says, one of the most important parts of this message. We have to pray at all times in the Spirit for our leaders, for each other, So that we may have boldness like Paul asked for to carry the gospel into this world. Into the world that is against us. Because it is in prayer that God's plan unfolds. It is in prayer that we find God's will for our lives. On what we are to do with those different shoes that we wear. It is through prayer that all of this is revealed. We have been given all the tools to succeed. We are not in this alone. We have brothers and sisters, and more importantly, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells in each and every one of us that calls on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so as Paul closes his letter out, he asks for boldness. As you contemplate on these things today, learn that if you're not a person of prayer, it is the most critical factors if you are going to succeed. We pray for each other. We pray for ourselves. And we pray for our children as we raise them. Because we know as parents we will mess up. We will be harsh when we should offer forgiveness. We will speak lies when we should offer truth. Raising kids aren't easy. Being married isn't easy. Being alive today isn't easy. But there is a plan, and God has given it to us. He has called us to be His soldiers, to put on that full armor, so that when the victory comes, when this fight is over, 
we will stand in glory with him. We will stand together as brothers and sisters, united in a way like we've never been united before. Because we will experience no more pain, no more death, no more fatigue. Oh man, just think of a marriage where you had no fatigue or pain. How much easier would that be? Because it's when we're tired. It's when we feel cheated. We make their biggest mistakes. It's when we feel the other person doesn't notice what should be obvious. When we get to heaven, all that will be gone. Because we will be made whole. We will be made alive. We will be able to see as God sees us. We'll be able to see each other as God sees us. Won't that be beautiful? Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us this opportunity to come to your house. Lord, we we ask for boldness. We ask for strength. We ask that you clothe us every day with this armor that you have provided. That you will protect us from the schemes, from the plans of the evil one that wants us to move away from the journey of faith that you have given us. Lord, we plan, we pray that you give us strength so that we may carry our light into this dark world, into this hostile territory. Because it is the only thing that brings peace to the chaos. That brings life to the dying. That brings health to the sick. Be with us as we leave here today. And keep us so that we may return to your house. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please come forward. If you've been visiting First Baptist Church. And today is a day that you want to move your membership. Please come forward, or if you're simply in need of prayer, come forward at this time.